Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. This episode will be a little bit unique. We're going to look back on all the episodes that were produced in 2021 as we head out here and embark into a new year 2022. We're going to do it in several chunks of little snips from each of the episodes that we had in the last year. First set of outtakes or clips here, we'll be talking about the organization of ResNet, the systems, and the people. We'll hear from such diverse voices as John Hensley, who'll talk about his career story and getting ahead of problems in the building trades, and also how the industry is so deeply tied to his family. Emma Bennett will then explain the challenges and flexibility that was necessary to be built into the 2021 virtual conference and how the sessions are actually chosen for the conference, what that method is, what that matrix consists of. Steve Baden will then follow talking about capturing the spirit and the feeling of an in-person conference during the 2021 virtual conference. Steve will then morph into talking about the process of setting the priorities for ResNet for each year. We'll also hear from the two ELC fellows, that's the Emerging Leadership Council fellows that are part of ResNet. Drew Lynch will talk about sort of his background and his interests. We'll hear more about the person, Drew, and then Stuart Salman will tell us how he learned about the ELC fellow program and how he took part of it in the application and then finding out how he won it. Steve will then take us into talking about the 2022 conference, the decision-making for the structure of the conference, and Emma Bennett will come back and tell us more about the details of how that hybrid conference will be accomplished. And then we'll finish up this segment with Neil Cruz talking about software consistency, the basics of it, and a common misunderstanding when it comes to looking at software consistency. Let's hear from all these folks. I wrote millions of dollars of construction defect repairs. Everything from window repairs to HVAC, from single-family to multifamily to condo buildings, and whole community repairs. And from that was born a need to help builders build it better the first time. Get ahead of the problem before they become problems, costly problems. That's right. I get to help as a consultant and a past builder, we get to help them build their houses. So I've helped with each of my children's houses being built. And then our family has stayed in the industry. My youngest daughter works for a builder. She's worked in engineering, and now she's working for a builder to build condos. And she loves construction. In fact, she brings projects to me all the time to help with. Our son, our middle child, he started out working for this company. And we thought, what a great partnership. Dad and son working together every day. And building a business. Then one day, Habitat called. And I had been working for Habitat 35 years. I've done everything from training affiliates to speaking at the national conferences. And we just love the mission of Habitat. In the past, you've been the organizer of these things. And you have to lock down a lot of details in advance. Do you have more flexibility or less flexibility in putting this together? A little of both. I think that we do have a lot of flexibility because we're not having to coordinate travel schedules and accommodation, BEOs. We're not having to estimate the number of attendees and we don't have limits to our room sizes. So there is a lot of flexibility and autonomy for us to create the event that 
with no limits, an event with no limits. There is some harder deadlines because we need to have our content locked down and uploaded into that platform earlier in the year versus having the speakers show up and do their thing. But Overall, it's been really interesting to see the other virtual events that have been happening all through 2020 and being able to take the best parts from what we've seen and heard from attendees that have gone to those events, apply them to our platform and kind of learn from what's been happening in the event industry as a whole. We submit a call for session abstracts. We go through a process of letting the network decide kind of what they want to see. And then from that list, looking at the ones that were highest ranking, we pulled from that list, staff reviewed and notified those speakers. We've tried to make it such a way where we can at least get the spirit and the feeling that the previous conference have, but also taking in mind the health concerns we have to do. And that's one of the reasons that we had to do it. Because, for instance, you couldn't go to the bar after sessions and network. Food service would be probably boxed lunches. And we'd have to have social distancing to such where it would be very difficult with. So this opens it up to everyone. Through our annual budget process, we have about a four-step measure. The first one is to define what are the essential activities each year that ResNet will undertake for the year. Then based upon that, the board then approves those, the definitions. And then based upon that, then the ResNet staff comes up with what our goals are. The board then considers that and approves that, and then we come up with a actual priorities for the organization to undertake. I'm Drew Lynch. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. I grew up in Iowa and was transported here via my wife. <laughs> I attended college down here for electrical engineering, and during my time there, I had a professor who recommended that I look into energy efficiency as a way of reducing the amount of solar that would have to be used to bring a house down to net zero. And through that, I found ResNet and found a training program right here in Kansas and was able to get certified and began working on rating existing houses in 2016. And then I've started this year on doing Energy Star certification for nonprofits. So I found out about it through my boss. He sent out an application. So I had actually never heard of the ELC before he sent me the application, filled it out. I thought it had some great questions in there. It made me evaluate why I am doing what I'm doing, which was really great. The video was kind of fun. I have chickens, so I tried to get the chickens in my video. They didn't quite like it, so I, they weren't in it. But yeah, I had a great experience with that. I was quite surprised that I was chosen, mainly because I didn't do the research that I probably should have, and I didn't really realize that it was for newer members to ResNet, which makes total sense. But yeah, great experience, great questions. would highly encourage anyone to apply that's wanting to get involved a little bit more. We've decided to have a hybrid this year. And this resulted from a survey that we conducted of past attendees of ResNet conferences. And the results of the survey were interesting. What we found, like the rest of the nation, the ResNet network is divided on its views of the pandemic. On one hand, we had a large number of past attendees indicated that they would not receive a COVID vaccination, nor would follow public health protocols. But on the other hand, a large segment would not be comfortable in an event with individuals who were not vaccinated. There was also a concern that in the survey of people who would go to a live event, 
that they would not have the traditional in-person networking and opportunities if a thing went on. So this presented a quite a Gordonian knot for us. And the solution was a hybrid conference. And this hybrid conference will be a live event for those who want to follow best practices of public health protocols. And then an online event for those who are not comfortable with flying, nor do not want to practice the best public health practices. We presented this last month to the ResNet Board of Directors who voted in favor of having this two-pronged approach and then the live event having the best practice protocols for an in-person event. So what we're looking at for a hybrid event, right, the definition of hybrid is a thing made by combining two different elements. So we're going to have the two components of what we did for 2021, which was a virtual event. We're going to probably shorten that a little bit because we're also going to be offering the in-person event. And the objectives of both are going to be a little different, but for 2022, we're going to be in Austin, Texas. We understand that this might be a smaller scale as people get used to making their way back into meeting live and face-to-face again. And then I think for virtual, we'll have the opportunity to provide a lot of the same elements that we did in 2021. But I think our focus for the virtual versus in-person is virtual is going to be targeted to high quality and accessible educational content for professional development and networking is going to be the main priority for our in-person in Austin. One thing that became clear pretty early on is that the coverage of those tests is pretty limited. And the tests we have, I think it's probably one building in one climate to check these tools calculating loads correctly. There's a couple other tests that do explore a couple other climates, but if you think about the total number of homes in the United States, there's such a much wider variety that people encounter. And part of our plan and part of what we're working on now is expanding those tests to cover a more realistic range of homes. That's one approach that we're taking. The other approach is being responsive to user inquiries. So it's not uncommon that a user will try to get a HER score in two tools, and then find that there's a difference in those scores. And we have a portal set up on the ResNet website where people can fill out a form to explain the differences there. I think one of the hardest misconceptions out there, and it's fairly contentious, is this idea that we didn't have inconsistency before there were multiple tools. Before you arrived. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Isn't that quite a greeting or welcome? Yeah, right. And it goes back to the two watch principle, right? Before there were two or more tools, there was this blissful ignorance that, yeah, you get a consistent result. But I think what's more important to the ResNet community and the stakeholders that buy into Res, like the ResNet and the HERS index, is that these are accurately portraying the energy efficiency of the home. And so as soon as we see it, a discrepancy, any kind of inconsistency that indicates to us that there's a problem in one or both software tools. And the solution in my mind isn't to just pick one and ignore the fact that there's an inconsistency. It's to address that. And it's through that comparative study and we dig into the software details to figure out, oh, well, this one's actually making an assumption that's maybe not as good. And so we can fix that. And now this technology X is better incentivized or more accurately incentivized in the HERS index. In our next segment, or part B, get into politics and taxes. We'll hear from Carl Chidlow talking about some 
surprises from the 2020 election. You got to remember this was recorded in December of 2020, so that was fairly new information then. But it's interesting to look back at that. Steve Baden also shares his surprises from the 2020 election. And Steve comes back again to talk about the 45L tax credit. I remember this was recorded in September of 2021. Then we also hear a little back and forth between Steve and myself about who's better at math. So listen into this little chunk of episodes. What I was most interested in was how Joe Biden, once he got the nomination, how he was going to campaign during a pandemic. Obviously, Trump continued with his rallies. He sort of ignored the mask wearing concept and uh, was sort of cavalier about how he conducted himself in terms of public safety. Biden, from a public safety, but also from a messaging perspective, chose to have these drive-by rallies, much smaller venues, social distancing was enforced. It was a bit of a jump ball, which was going to work. Plus, the Democrats made a very conscious effort to encourage folks to vote early, use mail-in voting systems, which were embryonic in some states. Pennsylvania, for example, had never allowed early voting unless you had sort of a medical reason or you were serving your country overseas. So they opened that wide open. And there was one professor from the University of Florida that was tracking all of this information and seeing, I think there was 20 million more people roughly that voted in this election than voted four years ago. Two surprises. First, I want to echo Carl, is the turnout. Who would have guessed that was such a massive turnout with a pandemic? And it was not only Democrats that turned out. For instance, Donald Trump received more votes than any Republican candidate in American history. What we're seeing is overall a large turnout that defied that people in August really didn't foresee that this would happen. We saw lines of people standing in line to vote for five, six hours. So it did show that. And I do think that once we get over the controversy about mail-in and early voting, I think it's going to be the future. Democracy fries by engaged voters. And if we make it easier for voters to vote, it will make better. And it just early voting just makes all kinds of sense in the world. Because it was expiring, we saw a couple of interesting things that's taken place. One of which is there was a number of proposals out to deal with extending and amending the tax credit. And there was basically three options on the floor. One that was presented by the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Senator Wyden from Oregon. One by the House Ways and Means Committee. And then one by the Biden administration. The Senate Finance Committee's version was interesting. It would have no expiration date. In other words, it'd be a permanent tax credit. And then it would also include an increase of the credit amount over time to adjust for inflation. So this tax credit was put in effect in 2003, and the dollar amount has not changed since then. From the 2000. Yeah, so this would adjust it for inflation. It created two tiers for the tax credit. Instead of being 50% over the IECC, it would offer $2,500 for a home that was labeled by the Energy Star Home Program, or $5,000 for a home that was certified under the Department of Energy's Zero Energy Rating Homes Program. And then the Biden administration came up with a version of the tax credit that was a little bit more complicated, more of a Chinese menu, if you will. It would increase the tax credit from $2,000, $2,500, and then extend the credit for five years. 
and it provides target options of three. One is which is energy savings percentage from 50% to 60% over the 2006 IECC, or the home be labeled by Energy Star, or the annual heating and cooling consumption at least 15% below the 2018 IECC. Now, the House Ways and Means originally had a menu option, but each House committee was designated by House leadership to come up with their portion of the package of this reconciliation bill. And just in late September, the House Ways and Means Committee passed out their version of a credit that would be part of that. And it's really similar to the Senate, except for the following modifications. One, instead of being permanent, it would be an effect for 10 years, but there'd be two tiers for the credit. Energy Star would be $2,500, very similar to what the Senate proposed. And then homes labeled by DOE Zero Energy Ready Homes Program would be $5,000. So the two differences between in the House and Senate, one is permanent, one is only for 10 years, but the dollar amount and the thresholds are exactly the same. And I think I want to point out to people that this is a tax credit, not a deduction. It's very powerful, particularly for a builder. It's got much more power because on a deduction, you just take that amount and reduce the amount of taxable income you have. Where this is a credit where you subtract it actually from the federal taxes that you. Right. And it's your multiplier of one over your tax rate. If it's 20%, it's 5x is really the impact it has on, on your income. So I'm pretty good with math, Steve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I couldn't have gone there. <laughs> There's a look of hesitation on your face. <laughs> yeah. She rescued me. <laughs> You go walk the halls of Congress. I'll sit back and do the math. Okay. There you go. Got deal? a deal. All right. Got, Got a deal. deal. Cool. <laughs> this next part of this Best of Res Talk 2021, we'll get into the ResNet community. We'll hear from Gene Myers with Thrive Home Builders, who will talk about resources used to educate consumers on high-performance homes, and also about sticking to your principles to attract the right customers. See our hero, We'll talk about inspiring consumers to make good choices. And while Tim Smith will talk about integrated building science concepts into the home buying and the building process. Michael Zyman will describe to us how he created the One Tree Pledge and how he came up with the carbon math calculation for a home. Dan Welch will walk us through the talk and the he's walked the talk of a low carbon building of his own home, as well as talking about how comfort can trump the return on investment for building features in certain climate zones and how to pay attention to these factors. Laura Elam will give a quick little soundbite about building your dream home, which happens to be my dream home. And I'll talk about the my networking and influencers, especially a book called The Pattern Language, which is a real gem of understanding when it comes to home building. DJ Lawson will talk about the impact of continuous learning on a builder's workforce. And we'll close this segment with Matthew Cooper telling us how raiders can help builders adapt to challenges with their in-depth understanding of building science, building performance, and codes. If I were going to prioritize what we've done with education is first you have to have really educated people on your own team. So does that mean, is it sales training? Well, yes. Is it training of your construction team. Yes, it's really training everybody 
to develop a culture within your business around high performance and why we do what we do. So that is a long-term ongoing process because people move and you have turnover and you just have to constantly be reinforcing your brand to your own people. And then we need those educational resources for that are outward facing to your customer. And nowadays, the obvious point is that it has to be your website, your social media, all the assets that you have online, because we're not even open yet. We're a year into the pandemic and we're not open to the public to just walk into our models yet. Everything's by appointment. And the sales funnel when I first started was you put an ad in the Sunday paper and people get in a car with a map and they show up. And then you try to winnow out the prospects from the looky-loos. And it's just totally different now where the funnel is your digital presence. And it may even involve your star rating on Google as a builder. And definitely people getting to the website somehow and perhaps through social media. And I confess at my age, it seems a little like a magical brew, but we have some digital natives in the company that this is their way they live. It's not like they had to be trained. and They're very good at that. We have an online salesperson, Scott, who's image pops up when you get onto our website, let's chat. And we just have a shocking conversion rate from people who Scott can set up an appointment with to closing, like sometimes as high as 30%. And I would say those are the tools, but we also have in our sales offices, we convert a garage to what we call our design and technology studio. And in order to simplify our business, we do design center packages so people can pick their flooring and cabinets and all of those things, tile, etc. there. But while they're sitting there doing that, and sometimes that's an hour or more, we have images on the wall explaining the three legs of our brand, efficient, healthy, and local. And from an energy efficiency standpoint, we talk about solar, we talk about battery storage. From healthy standpoint, we have an image in our design and technology studio I just love. It's a little girl in a high chair, and our 35-year-old woman is leaning over to feed her. And the message, it goes something like, the air she breathes is just as important as the food she eats. So my advice to builders, and we're still here. We made it through the recession. We made it through all these 30, almost 30 years. We built a durable brand by being who we are every day, no matter what the market looks like, no matter how tough the land negotiation had to be. And that high level of differentiation, I think, has really helped us because there is a market. And I can't speak for national markets. We're only in the Denver market. But in our market, there are people who will pay a little more for a better house, knowing that every month they're going to get paid back for making that decision through lower energy bills. Our brand promise about challenging convention and building better clearly rests on the shoulders of really good building science and our partnership with the EPA and our partnership with ResNet to really to create to inspire consumers to make good choices, which I think a large part of the HERS rating exemplifies, right? That it's not a marketing claim, but it's good building science rooted in deep Department of Energy models. But the benefit around these low HERS scores is something we do every home, every time, every price point, 
and more importantly, inspires consumers that they shouldn't accept less. And that's what Tim and I have such a great partnership achieving over the last 10 plus years. I mean, the conversation just really begins with working with the salespeople and the construction staff to tell them some of the aspects of what this house has versus what similar building products in the area, the comparison of a Meritage home versus a neighboring community. And a lot of salespeople come in and they've sold other homes or they're to understand that there is a difference other than just the zip code and the size square footage of the house. That's really key to it. And like I said, it has been a stepping from 10 plus years. Now we're seeing other builders in the area follow suit. They're interested in, hey, what are they doing and what's driving the home buyers there? So the HER score becomes really important aspect of that. And then it becomes kind of a competition of what do we do to our homes to lower that HER score? Because it's the buyers are becoming more aware. And working with Meritage Homes, it's not like really comparison of what other builders are doing. It's what can we do next to be innovative, to decrease that her score and provide more energy efficient and not just energy efficient, but indoor air quality is a really top priority of Meritage Homes as well. I started to research lots of different ways offsetting my carbon. I also looked at ways of reducing our carbon emissions and by reducing carbon emissions, that's what we're doing. We're just continuously reducing them. So to get to net zero, we had to look at different ways of how to help to negate the reduced emissions that we're putting out there. So I looked and talked to various companies in the carbon capture space, which is an excellent technology that's on the brink of becoming a little bit more mainstream. But then I realized that nature really does have the cure. We all learned back in grade school that trees naturally breathe in carbon dioxide for photosynthesis and expel clean oxygen. And while it was in the back of my mind, it was really like an aha moment when I started to do further research and see how nature really is able to thrive when left alone. And if we help to enhance it by planting trees, there really are great outcomes that come from that. So then I went on multiple government websites to figure out the amount of electric and natural gas usage for the average home. Now, the average home in a country is significantly older, built a lot less sustainable, most of them probably are not using ResNet or the HERS index, so you have a lot more heat loss, a lot more electric usage per square foot, a lot more HVAC usage per square foot. So we took the averages of those to figure out what the greenhouse gas emissions are, and we broke that out on our website, and we realized that by still planting one tree for every square foot of even the average home, that we're still able to help mitigate the greenhouse gas emissions from that. So what I mean by that is the average home, let's just say it's 2,300 square feet in Oklahoma. That homeowner by planting 2,350 trees will help to negate all the greenhouse gases produced from utilizing that home. So in 2013, I started Bundle and ended up building a house for my family as kind of our flagship project to show how we wanted to build within the community. That's a statement. <laughs> yeah, and then that was my opportunity to kind of show exactly how I thought buildings should be built. One, as that kind of business card, but two, because all of my work was also public work, so I didn't really have any examples to show residential clients that I could build a really great 
house for them. Looking at a 70,000 square foot campus center is hard to sell somebody on a single family house or a multifamily house, right? There's just quite a stretch of imagination there. <laughs> exactly. And comfort. And comfort. Exactly. The thing that you probably, or people probably will think about more often. <laughs> exactly. And that's a very good point because especially in our mild climate, if we were in Minnesota or Wisconsin or something with those brutal winters, we would be talking a lot more about energy efficiency of these units and return on investment and those kinds of selling features. We don't do that here. It's almost exclusively a discussion about comfort because the ROI doesn't, it doesn't look so good for a lot of those, but that comfort is very important. I think it's everyone's dream to build their own home. Yes. But you know what? When you're a building science nerd like we are, oh my goodness, you can just put all of the things that you've learned over the years into this house. So I know it was quite a journey for you and your wife. So thank you for taking the time to discuss that with us today. It's hanging around with all these technical nerds in the housing industry. ResNet, also the Building Performance Association, the Affordable Comfort Conference, people from there, and then managing the existing homes we lived in and doing some energy retrofits in them. There's one influencer, Chris Dorsey, who does this thing called the Habitat X Conference. And he actually sent us a book called A Pattern Language, which was published around 1980. And it's a really interesting book for people involved in constructing spaces for people. It's beyond buildings. It's even like communities. And they have around 400 different one and a half page articles on arrangement of things, like the number of floors in a building, the amount of open space, the amount of light, the depth of a building. And it was really, really intriguing. We didn't, I still have the book and we haven't read through the whole thing, but we picked out Marilyn and I both picked out chapters. We read through it and thought about how our home would come together using, I'd say it's a combination of psychological, architectural, and emotional experiences are compiled in this book. Really fascinating. It's a unique aspect of what we do. We bring on new people all the time and they're willing to learn and their willingness to grasp the idea of what we're doing here is remarkable. So. And I'm sure the way they project themselves on the job site when they're working with people. And I would also imagine, Matthew, it's true for your Raiders. It just brings this, the social level aspect up a little bit that people are doing this for a common cause, a common good. We also see that as far as the pricing aspect goes, one of the unique things that a HERS Raider has to offer a builder, if they're savvy enough to do so, builders have traditionally gravitated towards the prescriptive path of code because it was more familiar to them. They know that the code official is going to accept if you check off these boxes when it comes to the energy efficiency, the energy chapters of the code and the mechanical chapters of code, that they're not going to run across challenges with code officials not passing their homes. In today's environment, let's use Maryland for an example where the prescriptive path of code says you have to build with two by six walls. If two by six walls are going to cost you an extraordinary amount more money today than a two by four wall, but the HERS Raider can help them model around code compliance with use of two by fours following the performance path of code and be able to show the code official, here's the approved software. And yes, even though this is not a two by six wall, it's a two by four wall. And here are the other changes that happened in order to demonstrate to you, Mr. or Mrs. Code Official, that the home does in fact meet code. And it may even mean an above code program like Energy Star. So the ability to adapt to price challenges in that one example of lumber costs is huge. 
going to close this best of Res Talk 2021 with part D. We'll talk about codes and standards. From Laurel Elam, you'll hear about the basic details of the joint ResNet ICC HERS rating company membership. And Lawrence Genest will describe the benefits of this membership, the understanding and the relationships that can flourish from closer work between ResNet and ICC. Wes Davis and Scott Doyle will talk about the roots of the standard 310, which is about grading the installation of HVAC systems and how to get involved in training these programs. Here are a couple little snips there. And then Russ King and Ryan Mears from episode 79 will tell us about how water is energy and what gets evaluated during a HERS H2O rating. And we'll close this section, again with more topics on water, with Jonah Shine from the EPA talking about his perspectives on water efficiency, HERS H2O rating, and the EPA WaterSense program. And Ryan will close with a little thought about where water ratings are being done around the country at this point in time. This is a really exciting opportunity for Home Energy Rater members of ResNet because now at no additional cost, through our partnership with ICC, you also become a member of the ICC. So for the same price that you are currently paying, you will become a member of the IACC and you are able to take advantage of some of the benefits that come along with that. Some things just make sense. And this particular package that we put together really made sense because the Code Council recognized that we had a shared commitment and vision with ResNet in advancing energy efficiency in our communities. We knew that there was deep specialized technical knowledge of ResNet members And we're committed to the idea of getting more ResNet members involved in ICC to become part of developing the codes and standards that they need to work with in the field every day. And this joint membership also gives them an opportunity to interface more with our code officials and other building professional members that we have, develop stronger relationships with them, and be able to really avail themselves to these code officials as third-party experts that can be relied on for energy code compliance efforts in the field. And these are some things that not all building departments are sufficiently staffed to do, especially at the high volumes we see in today's marketplace. ACCA is a trade association for HVAC professionals. We are a membership organization. I mentioned a moment ago working on our standards department. I also headed up our quality assured program, which is very similar to or supports the Energy Star certified homes program and others. And so back to the standards writing portion, we have a quality installation standard and we saw value in having that recognized in the HERS index or the energy rating index. And so that's what prompted this activity to begin. So ResNet has online training. We've got four online training modules. Those are free to raters and quality assurance designees. Of course, it's because these features are voluntary, you don't necessarily have to go through that training. But obviously, the evaluation of, of these features, there are elements to it that were not part of the Raider certification. Anything that's related to residential energy is eventually going to end up talking about water because, as I heard someone say one time, that water is energy when you talk about the amount of electricity that it takes to get the water to our house houses at a pressure that we can use is an amazing amount of electricity. And so it's very much related. So at a very basic level, so HERS H2O encompasses both indoor and outdoor water usage. So on the indoors, you're looking at things like fixture flow rates for your bathroom faucet, your kitchen faucet, your shower heads. 
but then you're also looking at appliances. So your clothes washer, what's the efficiency of the clothes washer, as well as your dishwasher. And then on the outside, which is a little bit more unique, especially for HERS Raiders, because they're not used to kind of encompassing outdoor items. So you're going to look at the irrigation system, the type of irrigation system that's installed, the kind of controller that's being used for the irrigation system, as well as whether or not there's a pool or a spa on the property. And then you're going to look at the overall size of the area that's being irrigated, the irrigated area for the entire lot. Part of the reason that we're here as a program in WaterSense and why we've partnered with ResNet is we believe that water is going to be a very important issue to society, but also to the building industry now and in the coming years. And you're absolutely right. The headlines are getting pretty dire, and that's because the drought situation out west is getting pretty dire. But at the same time, this is nothing new. We know that water is a big issue. We see what's happening with the cost of water. We see the things that are going on with capital spending behind the rise in cost of water. We understand that's going to put pressure on the building industry and make it more difficult to get entitlements, more difficult to get permits to build. Laws are already on the books in California that are driving down the per capita on water consumption on a district level. That's without drought. The drought is here. It's only going to make all of those pressures worse. Now, the good news is I think we have a tool here in HERS H2O rating and in water scent certification that can really serve as a blueprint for builders and for raiders how to navigate the building and new construction in a water-starved world. As part of the field testing, we did do some homes in Florida as well as Utah. And there's been uh, strong interest in California, which is why we did open it up to California HERS Raiders to participate as well. And I'm expecting to see a big uptake there. So CalCerts and Shears are the two California providers for the program. And they're just about ready now to start doing ratings. They've been testing the functionality and getting the California Raiders set up to take the training. So I expect significant uptake there. And I think we'll see as version one of WaterSense transitions out. I think we're going to see builders that were doing version one start to make that shift over to version two. So over the next six months, I'd expect many more builders to start getting in on version two. And also, I should say that we also see WaterSense as a real driver in HERS H2O ratings, as really the real meaningful certification behind HERS H2O. Twenty twenty one. Twenty two different guests, twenty-three topics and twenty-three episodes. We covered a lot of ground in the Res Talk podcast in twenty twenty one. We hope we stimulated your thinking and moved you into action in this sometimes complex world of home energy ratings. One of my favorite tasks that I produce each podcast is to come up with a quote that resonates with the subject matter. I picked out six different quotes, which I think were the pick of the litter this year. I'm just going to go ahead and read them for you. This is by Steve Jobs. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. By J.P. Morgan. Go as far as you can see. When you get there, you'll be able to see farther. Simon Sinek. Leadership is not about the next election. It's about the next generation. From Margaret Mead. Never believe that a few caring people can't change the world. For indeed, that's all who we ever have. From Arnold Glasgow. The key to everything is patience. You get the chicken by hatching the egg, not by smashing it. 
and the last one, which I like a lot, by Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. I want to thank you for listening to this episode and hope we did make you think a little bit and hopefully you'll dig back into the episodes this year as listed in the show notes, which we referenced in the little snippets and quotes we pulled from this past year. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or join the email list. You can also find Resnet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today, even after I've done all those quotes, here's one more quote from Art Buckwald. Whether it's the best of times or the worst of times, it's the only time we've got. If you want to feedback to Resnet on what you heard here today, or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you're not subscribed or rated our podcast, please do so. That'll help other people find it. And as always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spone and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.